I'm not a preacher, and I'm not drunk. I'm just a politician. Everybody, come out of your houses. Clarence Hillian is going to make you a super human being. Welcome back. This is the fourth outing for the Crackpot Cinema phenomenon that is sweeping the podcast society at large. Like a uh, like an epidemic. <laughs> a pandemic. It's a everywhere. Pa- it's a pansexual-demic. Um, so... Uh, I am uh, Mike McPadden, the author of, uh, what did I write, Teen Movie Hell and Heavy Metal Movies. Uh, joining me, as always, across the country, is Mr. Uh, introduce yourself. Aaron Lee, uh, t- TV writer and producer of shows like Family Guy and Superstore. All right, and uh, I think for this week uh, we might we might change the title of this episode, or just on the show. I mean, from uh, Crackpot Cinema to Misery Motion Pictures, uh, five films, five completely horrible experiences. <laughs> uh, what I was thinking, we should, should we call this Pretty Brookie, or that's Brooksploitation? Ooh, I like that's Brooksploitation. Yeah, it's got to be that. Yeah, and that's, yeah. that's another recurring theme we can go back to. Yeah, so I like that. That's Brooksploitation. Uh, I don't know how we got around to uh, picking uh, Brooks Shields as our next subject after uh, Crackpot Kirk Douglas. Do you remember how it came up? <laughs> no, I really don't. No. I, I just, I just, and I just in particular, though, remember thinking we've done a couple shows on fellas and, uh, yeah, 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 there you but, go. but, um, but I don't so, remember so what punishment we picked the, uh, female motion picture star who has made the five worst films that have ever existed. And we've watched <laughs> them all, I think. So, um, and, I, and the person who has been, None of these movies were available on streamers. They're not on DVDs or Blu-rays right now. And and it really made me feel like Brooke Shields, who was a huge, huge star in the 80s and even the 90s, has really fallen through the cultural cracks. I, I disagree completely. She's a different kind of star now. What kind of star is she now? Well, I, I got, I, I'd does, love to know. Uh, the she is a uh, you know she's like a Today Show type of personality like a celebrity okay. mom, um, very affable figure probably in like the the world of soccer mom uh, America. Okay, um, well liked a survivor clearly. Um, but but does that crowd good think of her, her? But does that crowd think of her as you know Brooke Shields? Former movie star, uh, like do no, they, know they think of, of her as Brooke Shields, child pornography victim at her mother's hands, uh, only person who ever understood Michael Jackson, uh, uh-huh. and and now you know still a, a glamorous and uh, smart and funny and well spoken uh, individual individual uh, celebrity with uh, you know her act together. She got into it with Tom Cruise. Remember this uh, around the world? Ooh, I do remember time? that. Yeah, and uh, she came out of that smelling like a rose. Where um, she she was very open about experiencing postpartum depression, and uh, Tom Cruise, uh, you know, he told her uh, 
psychiatry was the greatest evil ever foisted on uh, humanity since the original <laughs> Phaetons. To think there was a time when our culture would let Tom Cruise speak his mind so freely <laughs> of his insane shit. Like, to think now it would just be like, shut up. <laughs> but he was allowed to run around just saying whatever he wanted. Oh, I yeah. could, like, put uh, <laughs> Oprah in a uh, Iron Sheik-style camel clutch on the couch uh, announcing he was in love with Katie Holmes. Yeah, Different time. What yeah. a different time. Promoting promoting War of the Worlds, a film I've never seen and never will see. You know, before we say all these negative things yeah. about Brick Shields movies and stuff, I, I would love to know uh, your experience with her growing up. I, I She was on the list of, as a kid, like celebrities I had a huge crush on. I was thinking about it. She was one of the top, I, top two. I think it was really her and Valerie Bertinelli for me. As a, as a kid. It's very interesting because uh, I was always very attracted to Mackenzie Phillips on One Day at a Time. Oh, wow. Because there were always episodes of, of that show where, you know, she was in trouble. She would run away. She was like the rock and roll sister. And there were times where they definitely indicated she had had sex and was maybe afraid she was pregnant. Mm-hmm, yeah. And that uh, I really plugged into that as an eight-year-old. I, uh, <laughs> I really got a, a bang out of that. But, uh, no, Brooke Shields always fascinated me. Uh, she's born in 1965. I'm born in 1968. She grew up in New Jersey, was a fixture of New York life all through my childhood. So, honestly, it's weird because I've always kind of felt like she was a friend of mine. Right. And I have very I – so I still have very positive feelings when I see her – Still active in the culture and, and um, you know, just just as, as this very, again, affable presence in life. Uh, and, you know, my own problems uh, being what they were as a child, where my, my grand ambition, like my fantasy was not to be a uh, race car driver or uh, play center field for the New York Yankees. I wanted to be a child pornography star. In 1970s New York, I would hear like there was this industry and I imagined and I'm talking about this is like when I was like seven, eight, nine years old. Uh, I imagined that it was like the Hollywood industry because I knew there were also there was also like the adult film industry. And those people would be like on the David Susskind show or Midday Live with Bill Boggs. It was a very uh, wild and hairy time in every sense. Well, if you, ever watch, if you ever watch the documentary An Open Secret, Mike, you'll know that you weren't that far off. Of how. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the thing. I had a very different idea of what the uh, porn industry that would have been available to me as an eight-year-old. Sure. Sure. Uh, it later occurred. It finally the scales fell from my eyes, which which I realize is a phrase I use a lot. Um, having listened to a couple of these episodes, uh, the scales fell from my eyes in 1981 at age 12 with uh, the TV movie Fallen Angel starring David Hill. Oh, boy, yeah. Uh, David Hill, sorry. That was before she transitioned and died. Uh, no, Dana Hill, who is dead. Rest her soul. Um, and Richard Mazur was the chicken hawk. And the first scene of the movie is like kids, like it, like in a bed, like talking to each other, like, hey, what, what's going on? You know, and then like the camera pulls back and you hear, cut. And I was like, oh, we, we got to reshoot that. 
And there's yeah. like, there's somebody with a clapboard and a script girl and there's like big 35 millimeter cameras and professional lights. And I, I, I said, okay, I don't think that's how child pornography is made. Right. <laughs> Cigar chomping producer. <laughs> we need to deliver chicken hawks on Broadway by the, <laughs> like a whole. But, but still, the movie, much like the song White Lines by uh, Grandmaster Flash, where it was like, okay, cocaine, it makes you feel great. You get rich, women love you. Don't do it. Like that was, right. that was yeah, sort a lot of, of the messages. experience of that movie. It was like yeah, yeah a lot you, of know, you get pizza, pinball. Your parents stop hassling you. Um, so I was always very attached to Brooke Shields. Always felt a lot of attachment to her. Um, huge crush, but but also somehow felt like personally connected to her. Um, one of the weirdest things was you know I started going to the. Uh, 8th Street Playhouse at uh, the at the too young age of 10 for the first time in the village to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show, which is a I'll, I'll tell that story briefly. I was obsessed with Rocky Horror from age 8. When I first read about it in the Daily News, I was like, what, this is some kind of like sexual monster comedy with rock music? I Okay. It was all I could think about. I conned, somehow I got the album for like my ninth birthday So I was obsessed with that. And then one day in summer 1978, we were at my grandmother's house in Keensburg, New Jersey, and the Asbury Park Press misprinted an ad for Rocky Horror. Because at this point, Rocky Horror was just playing in neighborhood theaters everywhere, which is another like crazy revolutionary thing that kind of goes unnoticed by today's woke kids who think they invented, uh, you know, fluidity when we know, in fact, it was the incredible scientist, Dr. Frank N. Footer. Um, but they, so they, they had a big ad for Rocky Horror. It said PG. And I went, ma, ma. And I ran because I was not allowed to see R-rated movies. Oh. And I finally convinced her that Rocky Horror was rated PG and I was allowed to see it. So my Uncle Freddie, Aunt Susan, and my Aunt Carol, who were uh, very groovy hippies and, uh, Still are. Still are just awesome. I saw Freddie and Susan a couple of times last year. Um, yeah, they. Uh, my mother finally said, I, "I, you know, she had had enough. They could take me. And they not only took me, they took me to the 8th Street Playhouse, which was, you know, like, it wasn't ground zero. It had started at the Waverly a couple blocks over. But it was like, you know, the, the flagship theater of Rocky Horror in America. And uh, the girl who played Janet sat on my lap for a moment and uh, smelled really sweaty, but it was the greatest thing I had ever smelled in my life. And then she showed her boobs on stage. And those are the first boobs I ever saw that I was not related to. So there was that monumental occasion. Uh, so in in that mix, that that my, that childhood that I just described, uh, Brooke Shields was a yeah an iconic figure. And in the box office of the A Street Playhouse, which was very you know punk rock and funky and crazy. There were nude pictures of 10-year-old Brooke Shields hanging up. Right. And these were the controversial nude pictures that she and her mother, Terry, had sued a photographer over. And that always, it always weirded me out a little. Um, But at the same time, I was always just so accepting that, like, oh, we live in a completely dark, apocalyptically sexual and nihilistic society. (laughs) So this is, this is how life is. Um. Yeah, you, you heard terrible things about Terry Shields, her mother, the maybe the ultimate stage mother. And when you know, looking back, it's it's something that could truly, folks, only in the seventies could there have been a Brooke Shields phenomenon where this 
uh, 12-year-old kid was, you know, one of the big sex symbols in America. And her big breakthrough, she was a model, and then she was cast in Louis Mal's Pretty Baby, a highly controversial film, uh, which is one of the highlights of cult movies, too. I, I forgot it was in two. Did you uh, reread the did you no. cult movies, too? No, I did not. Well, you remember one of our early, earliest and funniest bonding experiences over the Danny Peary's caption under the picture of Susan Sarandon, which, can you recite that verbatim? No, I can't remember it. Can't, what was oh, come it? Come on, man. No. You let me down. What, what was it? Uh... <laughs> Directors almost always have Susan Sarandon play. Oh, it's like she's known for her beautiful breasts or something. <laughs> no, it's worse than that. <laughs> Directors almost always have Susan Sarandon play scenes topless as she is known for her beautiful chest. <laughs> her beautiful chest. Thank you, chest. Danny. <laughs> yeah. Um, there was another another amazing captions. Uh, from uh, Brooke Shields fanatics are <laughs> alone. Those three words. Oh boy, yeah. Brooke Shields fanatics are fascinated by Pretty Baby because they believe it's the one picture in which she played a character very much like herself, or more precisely, like her publicity created image. A girl whose manipulative mother had her naive, defenseless daughter sell "quote unquote" sex to make money. And then revisiting that, I also uh, was reminded that Barbara Steele and Diana Scarwood took small roles in Pretty Baby just to be in it. And that Susan Sarandon <laughs> at that point was calling herself the Helen Hayes of cult. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Completely. God. That's funny. So Pretty Baby is about... Uh, I guess it's like 1916 or something. Anyway, early 20th century whorehouse in New Orleans, and Susan Sarandon is one of the sex workers, as they're called now, and uh, Brooke Shields is her daughter who grows up in the sex worker house and has her virginity auctioned off, and then she marries uh, Keith Carradine, who's a creepy photographer that hangs out and takes pictures. And um, she's completely nude in the film. And what's funny is looking back at the reviews, where it's like they're all saying, you know, Mal really handles this tastefully. This is not right. explosive. It's still, you know, it's still a very naked little girl in this movie. <laughs> I will go on record as saying I did not rewatch Pretty Baby for not this podcast. I, gotta say, yeah. I, would, I would like to. Let everyone yeah. and I don't know that I ever saw a pretty baby, and I'm not just saying that in some legal okay, display. I'm dead serious, it wasn't like a cable staple or anything. I feel like, oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I read it because how are you going to read that line about Susan Sarandon's beautiful chest and not? Oh, sure, no, I, so I get I that. Definitely watched I get that. It and got, got and, freaked. I got freaked out by it, and this was me like. However, old I was 14, that not much was freaking me out those days, yeah. 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 It's, but I mean, yeah, you have to put in context. This was this, uh, prestigious, uh, very well reviewed, uh, award winning film at the time. Yeah. It wasn't, yeah. Peary didn't like it. Peary wrote a really good, good, bad review of it. And, uh, you know, he, he just says, like, you know, Brooke Shields is, she seems to be a great child actress and, I'd rather see her in a field uh, chasing butterflies or scamping around with a dog named Lassie. Yeah, you, 
Yeah, classic. You, you know, I mean, like, I, I was thinking about it. I guess the closest comparison at the time was Jodie Foster, who, who just, who, you know, who launched in this very sexualized role at an, an inappropriately young age, too, in Taxi Driver. But, but frankly, was a good actress, unlike Brooke. You, right. you know? Well, also, Jodie Foster had been a child actress in a right. lot of things. In the Disney Archer's movies, family. yeah. And then did Taxi Driver, and then was in, like, uh, Freaky Friday and Candle, Candle Shoe. Candle Shoe, yeah, which, which is I one loved. of the funniest was, titles ever. Oh, I was obsessed um, with that movie as a kid. I've never so seen great. it. I loved oh. Freaky Friday. I took my kid to see it at a revival house a couple oh, years we should, ago. We should, we, should, we should watch that, though. It's really fun. Yeah, it's fun. Um, so she, she was sort of allowed to... Uh, grow up, you know, she played this very adult, hardened role, but it also was not exploitive. And she was, a, it, it, some, you know, it, you know what I mean? She was a really good actress, a really intelligent kid. She hadn't been essentially a nude model from age 11 months on. <laughs> and I guess that's the, I guess that's the part of the Brooks story is not only was she used in this way that was exploitive, but it was such a part of the story that her mother is her manager and is and yeah. and I guess that was supposed to be like and it's okay because her mom is signing off on this, but at the same time her mom was the bad guy, right? Yeah. Like a lot of that's that's the Brooks story basically. Yeah, for sure, for sure. There was always that feeling, but then at the same time, like I said, this was New York in the seventies. It was just that's what's happening. We're it was just, just, we're the, going yeah, it was just the, the sexual thunderdome. You know, it was just an open sewer of Caligulan uh, excess. I, I, you know, I couldn't help thinking about this, like, the next time you had this kind of star was in a mi- milder version, obviously, but would have been, like, Britney Spears. Britney Spears comes to mind, yeah. And yeah. then, and that's an example of, like, but the culture couldn't contain it, and it, <laughs> it exploded, and right. resulted in Britney Spears shaving her head and beating up a car with an umbrella, you know? Right, but, right. But the, yeah. but the culture was able to contain it in the 70s and say, yes, we will normalize this and absorb yeah. it. And, uh, and that they did. Um, so... After Pretty Baby, Brooke was a very <laughs> apparently in-demand movie star. She made three films in 1979, and we're going to go through them in the order that they were released. Yeah. Um, so it, it's we're going to start with uh, just you and me, kid, and then go to um, Tilt, and then Wanda Nevada. And, now, Mike, let me ask you quickly. Yeah. You don't have any idea. I, I couldn't or didn't. You don't have any idea what order these were shot in, do you? Because no. she, the, she, the one she looks the youngest in is Tilt, and that Tilt was, was like an eight year old. Yeah. Yes. So, so, anyways, yeah. But let's let's go through them in order of release, and that's great. So, um, yeah, yeah, you're right. Because it, by the time of Just You and Me, Kid, which came out first, she's like the, the she seems like the teenage Brooke Shields. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and looks like a kid until so. Yeah, so um, we'll begin with just you and me. So oh, we also, I, I really liked Aaron. We, you know, we try to come up with our version of a unique thumbs up, thumbs down each episode. Yes. And uh, I really like Brooke Shines or Brooke Shits. And the fact is, in all five <laughs> of these films, Brooke Shits. So wait, wait, wait to give away the. Well, you. But let me just say, listener, you don't know if I feel that way. 
could be well, a twist coming. You never it's, know. It, it, you'd have to be like, you'd have to have had like a, a severe brain injury. Could, <laughs> what a shock it will be, though, if I say Brooke Shines. So Brooke Shines. Brooke Shines. Well, that was Brooke, pretty yes. Brooke Shines. <laughs> That's for sure. Again, haven't seen it. Just want to go on record. So, so I want to say, I will give, I will, I will rate these on the curve. Okay. Uh, All right. Of shits and shines. <laughs> so, Shield uh, shits. <laughs> so a great headline variety. Cool. A great variety <laughs> review headline. Shield shits. <laughs> <laughs> Shield shits B.O. <laughs> Bafo, yeah. Oh. <laughs> Shield shits Bafo B.O. <laughs> B.S. shits All right, all right, let's stop. Let's stop. We got it. Oh, man. Oh, boy. So a little bit of a personal attachment uh, to just you and me, kids. So there was a girl in my class, and this is not her real name, Maggie Flynn, who I was in love with, uh, like from age six to 16, as was every other boy in the class and probably most of the girls. And she was very tall, glamorous, brunette. So she, I, I would imagine she was very, felt deep connections to Brook Shields. But there was one day in uh, class in the sixth grade, we had to uh, write a little something about our favorite movie. And I wrote about, uh, well, I said it was a tie between Annie Hall, which was the true answer, and Alien, just because I wanted everybody in the class to know I had seen Alien, which was like still in theaters at the time. But I, and I liked Alien. But uh, anyway, Maggie Flynn wrote a little piece on how just You and Me, Kid, was her favorite movie of all time. Oh, I love that. I love that. Good for her. <laughs> And, and by the way, this is a this is one of those movies I saw on cable many times. This uh, anytime this was on, I jumped on this one. So I also want to say that you know I grew up without cable. We didn't have it in the outer boroughs of New York City uh, until 1986. Uh, so I I have never seen any of these films before going into this podcast. Um, little background that was co-written and directed by Leonard B. Stern, who was one of the creators of Mad Libs, a legendary comedy writer who had worked on The Honeymooners, Sergeant Bilko, the Steve Allen Tonight Show, created the opening sequence of Get Smart, and also created Holmes and Yo-Yo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wrote Africa Streams, Africa Screams, the, uh, public domain VHS favorite with uh, Abbott Costello, which is in the process of getting a deluxe 3D Blu-ray. Whoa, nice. And was married to Julie Adams from Creature for the Black Lagoon. So uh, the premise of this movie is George Burns. It was the star. He was hot off of uh, the Sunshine Boys and Oh God. He's an old vaudevillian and he lives in, I don't know, Beverly Hills or something and uh, Wakes up every day to the sound of applause. And he's the George Burns that we'd come to know in the 80s. You know, this cantankerous, but, you know, very lovable, upbeat codger. Hangs, hangs out on the cover of Penthouse with Vanessa Williams. <laughs> saying, 
saying, well, oh, God, she's nude. Oh, God, she's nude. <laughs> but, <laughs> but that was the other thing. Remember, like, the other aspect of George Burns' 80s persona is that he was a real poon hound. Yeah, he's kind he, of a swinger, yeah. He always have like, Playboy bunnies on his arms, like, all right, Hef, yeah. uh, you go to sleep now. I'll keep the ladies awake upstairs. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> He also ended uh, 1979 by starring in Going in Style, the old man bank oh, robbery. Yeah. So, uh, th- so Brooke enters the film naked. Again, this was who Brooke Shields was at this point. And that was even included in the commercial. So the idea was, you know, you might get to see Brooke Shields naked in this, like, George Burns movie. <laughs> I didn't know that was in the commercial. That's amazing. It was yeah. a major selling point in the movie. Good Lord. And she's on the run from her uh, her outlaw boyfriend. Like, what is he, a drug dealer? Or what? He, he was sort yeah, of like... He's a, a, he's a drug dealer, yeah. He's a pusher. Yes, he's a pusher. <laughs> Again, you know, very tough times. Uh, he was sort of like, he, like a light version of... Uh, the, the George Burns comedy version of Ramrod, Wingshauser. From Vice Squad, <laughs> yeah, he's way and 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 uh, all three movies that she released seventy nine. I'm just going to say this quickly: these are all the same movie. They're all the same plot in different settings. Yeah, and it's the same thing with each of them. It's it's and it's a very seventies thing that we're talking about in general. You watch it, you go, "Was this a kids movie?" I, I, like the tone <laughs> is like a kids movie, but he's this intense pusher who starts the movie calling her a little bitch. Yeah. Before all her clothes are ripped off, where you're like, God damn, this is intense, and it, but presented in this goofball music Disney movie way. So it's it's really a bizarre experience to watch today. And to know that I watched it as a kid's movie at age 10 or whatever, going like, yeah, I love that movie, fun kid's movie, not... All yeah. of this flying over my head somehow, but also wrecking my subconscious. Wow. I mean, so did Maggie Flynn. Yep. She watched it. <laughs> she later married, uh, like, a guy who was a delegate at the Republican convention in 1992. <laughs> just just not, him I and hope, her, kid. I hope that doesn't give away her identity or anything. <laughs> but, um, and she's still very tall and very glamorous. But uh, so... She enters this movie naked, and I also thought this is a very flimsy premise, because she's in the trunk, she's hiding in the trunk of uh, George Burns' Rolls Royce. He opens the trunk, and she's like, I'll scream rape if you you say anything. (laughs) She's like, drive me home. So, he's like, all right, little girl. But I I just thought, I would just drive to a police station and say, hey, look, man. I don't know what's going on here. There's a naked kid in my trunk. Yes. That'd be the end of the movie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is, yeah, that's on George. You're right. <laughs> Even at his age, he probably could have physically restrained her if she tried to <laughs> attack him and make him, pounds, you know, yeah. there's no excuse for George to, yeah. to do this. You're right. So, you know, they have their kind of, you know, grandfather, granddaughter, uh, surrogate relationship that buds. And while the bad guy, oh, his name is Domesta, the psycho, <laughs> the psycho pusher. Play, and the guy who played him, William Russ, was in Deathbed. I liked seeing that oh, on his The IMDb Bed That Eats? Yeah, The Bed That Eats, yeah. And he was also the dad on Boy Meets World. Oh, wow. 
Oh, and he was. This was interesting. A 2001 sci. Uh, a movie came out in 2001. A sci-fi drama titled "A Thousand and One Ways to Enjoy the Missionary Position." <laughs> He's in that. <laughs> yeah. Good lord. <laughs> yeah, domestic. Oh man! And then if he caught up with her, he'd get busted for domestic violence. Man, <laughs> so. Uh, I- I want to. I want to go to the William Russ convention. Man. That guy's. <laughs> this guy's a hell of a career. Well, then you know, a great cult actor turns up. John Shuck, who was Yo Yo of Holmes and Yo Yo. Uh, they so what are they? They're like no, they're like nosy neighbors. Him and yeah. his wife, and yep. And John Shuck around this time. Do you remember he was in the sitcom Turnabout with Marriott Hartley? Oh wow! They were a married yeah, couple that switched bodies. Remember that. Yeah, wow. I haven't thought about that in a long time. Well, I'll never forget it, because first, it had uh, a long cartoon intro that explained, like, it went on about how they prayed to, like, a Hindu statue or something. But then there was one, I just remember, like, cruising by, it was on a Friday night, and I see Shuck sitting in bed, and he said, I was always planning to breastfeed. (laughs) Oh my That's god! What I remember, and Shuck appropriately with his name, uh, 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 supposedly the first guy to say "fuck" in a mainstream movie. Mash. I don't know if oh, you saw that. that? Yeah, I didn't yeah. know that. He no. said "fuck" and Mash and broke the the fuck. Shuck broke the fuck. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> wow, Shuck Bucks <laughs> Shuck, says "fuck." Shuck says "fuck." Bucks. <laughs> Bucks. Fuck. <laughs> Bucks up um, the fuck truck. Um. Oh, man. Um, so, Burl Ives is a catatonic vaudevillian, and he's got, oh, George Burns has his, uh, the No Shirt Gang, which is Ray Bulger, the Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz, and Key Luke, and who was the other, the other guy, it was like the third tenor. He was like, I didn't really know who he was. Yeah. Some some old man who wandered onto the set and thought he was, <laughs> thought he was in a real group of old guys that get together for poker. <laughs> With their and shirts off, yeah, they had to, and it they, was I mean, they don't really it was 1979, so they yeah. had to. Thank God they didn't really take their no, shirts I mean, off. It would have been funny at least if they were an old man that you know, scrawny yeah. boobs were hanging out. They just go down to t-shirts. The they no go down to t-shirt, but they have like funny like t-shirts and suspenders on and stuff. Yeah, um, Brooke is terrible. She's a terrible actress in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she is. She, she, and in all of these movies, it really struck me. She always seems to me. Here's what's fascinating about her: she's she's beautiful. She seems like she's having a good time. She always seems like she's oh, genuinely yeah, yeah. enjoying herself. Yeah, and You're and right. yet, and there's this screen tradition of uh, actors. It's the old Robert Mitchum school of like, here's this beautiful human being who doesn't care, but that just carries them through in this buoyant way and you it, it, you know um yeah. robert mitchum of course was secretly a great actor but, but <laughs> i was gonna say all right but that's an alchemy, interesting comparison but that alchemy does not work for brooke somehow you and no. and she was you know always imitated made fun of for it at the time Catherine o'hara played her on oh, sctv so great yeah and and i there's something about and here's a weird thing that i thought watching her it's there's something about the timbre of her voice that it, it just that that just 
I mean, she was a kid, but it can't, there's something about her, her voice, even into adulthood, that just can't help but come off in this affectless way that makes it seem like <laughs> that stresses while she cannot act. And she's just somebody <laughs> who's just standing there goofing around, screwing around, and uh, probably can't, you know, is having a good time, but can't wait for the camera to be off. You know, That's, like mm-hmm. I said, she still makes movies. It kind of makes you want to see if she ever learned to act. I the the one not to get off not to get off the great just you and me kid not to just, <laughs> the one movie I do want to see of her later films is uh, a menopause themed raunchy hangover kind of comedy from 2013 called The Hot Flashes made by oh Susan Sandelman who did we, Desperately Seeking Susan and Smithereens. Oh, then, shit, man. We should have reviewed that here. It's, it's her It's her, Wanda Sykes and Daryl Hannah as ladies going through menopause, but going like, let's get wild and have a wild weekend. That, that's oh, the one I'm fuck. curious about. All right. Well, we got we to gotta work that into another episode. But anyways, just you and me, Kit. <laughs> that would have been such a great capper here. Oh, well. Just you and me, Kit, a movie that, is nothing but it, once it hits about the twenty minute mark, you've gone through George Burns. But it's nothing but the nosy neighbors sneaking around trying to spy on him, and George Burns going to catatonic Burl Ives and going, I, "I don't know what to do about this kid, Burl. I know you can't talk back, but what do I do about this kid?" And George Burns just wanders around to people, giving the same thing of like, "I don't know what to do about this kid. What do I do about this kid?" And then the neighbors his spy jokes and stuff, and his daughter wants to. Uh, you know, wants him to sign over her his money to her. There's that little drama, and then at one point, uh, she, the daughter finds out there's there's a kid in the house, and uh, George Burns says, uh, "She's dead. Poor little thing couldn't keep up with me sexually." Oh God! Every, <laughs> I mean, yes, yeah, and uh, and that's it, and that's and that's the that's the movie. Not a lot of plot and story, and then the pusher shows up at the end. And he beats the shit out of George Burns and Bruce Shields. <laughs> and, uh, and that's the end of the movie. He does terrible things <laughs> with the no-shirt gang. Oh, Let's just God. say they were the no-pants gang during that scene. <laughs> oh, it's horrendous. And that's the end of the movie. Uh, had that been the actual end of the movie, I might have called that a, this a book shines. I, you know, I, again, relatively speaking, I have to say Brooke shines here. This wow. was not the worst that I saw. I, but it's so fucking bad. It, 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 I, I really did it. think. I actually hated it. Then then Brooke does not shine. You gotta shit. Brooke shit. Brooke shit. I, All right. Well, I will say this. Like I said, I saw this movie many times as a kid, so I it was pleasant to revisit. Sure. And and really, like I said, the first 15, 20 minutes, I thought there was like a certain charm. It's it's just fun to see a, I would agree a with 70s. You, yeah. Yeah. It's fun to uh, see a 70s movie with that everything's fine soundtrack. <laughs> like, the music right. is yeah. constantly telling you, like, eh, everything's fine, don't worry. Yeah. And George Burns, it, it's it's the fun part of his his old-time radio jokes. and But yeah. then it just grinds to a halt with, like I said, just it's completely inert. Uh, with yeah. <laughs> nothing happening until the pusher shows up at the end and they, they trick him. George Burns does a magic trick and he's done. So yeah, no, I, I'm I'm gonna give this one the the Brooke shits. Because wow. uh, but but, but it, it does have like that enjoyable fifteen minutes, which which elevates it totally past a lot of these other fucking movies though. It it um it you know, it reminded me of 
the kind of this is my grandmother physically reminded me of George Burns. She really looked like George right. Burns. And it was the kind of thing she would take me to and watch with me. I was thinking how she she loved she took me to a lot of comedies as a kid in the theater. She took me to fiendish plot of Fu Manchu with wow. Peter Sellers history of the movie. world. Yeah. yeah. Wow. And uh, so, and, and it, yes, there was that pleasant thing of like, it's that kind of comedy, but, but God, it just was your eyes just glaze over. I mean, I uh, think, I think because of, because there is some mitigating factor, I'm changing it to Brooke shines. Okay. All right. I, I love it. I love there it. is some mitigating factor. So now let's, let's, let's just go down a few hundred levels. <laughs> All right. Tilt. Tilt. So, uh, you know, uh, this is a movie I always wanted to see. Um, it's, well, what's interesting, okay, so Tilt and Wanda Nevada, uh, no evidence that it ever played, they ever played theaters in New York, except for, so I, I got a free week subscription to newspapers.com, and I've just been spelunking through there and, we have to. We're trying to put together some Patreon thing that we'll do with these newspaper clips. Uh, there was a preview, an ad for a sneak preview of Tilt, but then no ad that the movie ever actually opened in New York. So I have no evidence that these movies ever played in New York City area. But um, I had always known about this. Uh, I'm a pinball fanatic. I love pinball. I've always played pinball. I still do. I am uh, the exception to the rule. Regarding, you know, doing something for 10,000 hours will make you an expert at it. I'm a terrible pinball player still. But um, I don't even remember Tilt ever playing on TV. Did you see this? Was this on cable? No, I did not. And and same same thing. I remember it. I rem- As a kid, I somehow saw ads for it or something and really wanted to see it. But no, never saw it. Oh, yeah, well, here it is. Uh, they tested it. Warner Brothers tested it, and the reaction was so poor that they just put it on the shelf, and then it went to heavy rotation on Showtime in 1981 and later played on NBC. But I, I don't remember that. I would have watched it. I don't know how I, know I missed it on Showtime. I mean, I was watching yeah. a lot of Showtime then, so that's weird. Um, and, you know, maybe that's not true. Because, I mean, certainly if, that had, if Tilt had been on NBC, that would have been... Appointment television. That would have been right. must-tilt must TV for me that night. Right. Um, the other great, there is a great pinball movie of this era, which, of course, is Pick Up Summer, a.k.a. Pinball Summer, the uh, R-rated teen sex comedy. Uh, if only Brooke had made her way into that one. <laughs> uh, it is a very long one hour and 52 minutes. Did you notice who wrote the story? Uh No. All right, hang on to your your, your ball bag. <laughs> Donald Camel. Oh, yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> yeah, that was completely insane. Yes, that's so nuts. The Ooh. writer and co-director of Performance, the director of Demon Seed, and the writer-director of White of the Eye. A really weird guy. Like a, a guy who had a yeah. really troubled life and was, uh, yeah, really... I, there's a there's a great documentary about him. Did you ever yeah. see that? I did. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like falling through the cracks. We, we got to revive that. I don't yeah. remember what it's called, but yeah. No, he's a dark I dude. It. I did think that was bizarre. That I would love to know what the story is on him writing the story for Tilt. Yeah. So, uh, director Rudy Duran's only credit 
aside from uh, producing something called Cactus in the Snow and acting in The Gemini Affair. And yet he gets that big title card at the beginning, like a Rudy Duran's tilt. Yes, Rudy Duran's tilt. It's so so strange. How did you negotiate that? Oh, who cared at this point? I mean, like, the whole movie was like, how did any of this shit happen? I know. Uh, so, so the Gemini Affair, I want to say, is a 1975 softcore lesbian movie with Marta Kristen from Lost in Space that I once joined. I joined Vinny's video on Avenue J just to rent the Gemini Affair. Wow. <laughs> didn't, yeah, didn't disappoint. Delivered. I had uh, a, uh, I don't know, I had a Leo Affair with myself watching the Gemini Affair. <laughs> and you're saying, how did this happen? And that's one of the most amazing things to me. It happened because of Melvin Simon. Did you look up that guy? No. The produ- Okay, so the producer. So the, And, and the, he's another one. I, I jumped to look it up just because he gets a, a, gets a big title card at the beginning. Melvin Simon Productions, okay? So this guy, Melvin Simon, he was the shopping mall king. He was, he was wow. basically the guy who kind of created the shopping mall and made millions and millions of dollars off it in the 70s and put it into making movies. Now, listen to this list of what he produced, Mike. Are you ready for this? I am. Here's what, here's, here's what Melvin saw. I mean, this guy created, all, created the genre of movies you and I love. It's unbelievable. Here we go. Porky's is the big one. Holy shit. Scavenger Hunt. Oh, man. Zor- Zorro the Gay Blade. My Bodyguard, Choo Choo in the Philly Flash, <laughs> Rabbit Test, the Billy Crystal Pregnant Man movie, When a Stranger Calls, Matilda the Boxing Kangaroo, oh, Elliot Gould oh, movie, Somebody Killed Her Husband, and The Stuntman. I, like, this guy, so so this guy took his shopping mall empire and turned it into making movies that you and I would he made be obsessed with. our dreams come true. I mean, this is a crackpot cinema king. Uh, this is it. This is, this one is of, the this guy is who canonical. financed it. This is, yeah. I mean, on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, so, and Mount, Tilt uh, is another one Gushmore. of his. Yeah. Yeah, another one of his. Wow, we. He must have, he probably also made a lot of money off a of pinball if he was, uh, that's true. Operating he, <laughs> shopping malls. Yeah, he must have known. That must have attracted him to this. So, uh, the, so it opens up with the pinball footage of the pinball machine. Never exciting. Never, except for the, that. Remember, there was that Sesame Street short that was like a pinball. Oh, sure. Yeah. One, two, three, like, four, five. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, that was uh, Grace Slick. Oh, yeah. That's, that's an acid jazz dude. Oh, that's an amazing song. Yeah. Yeah. Love that. Um, the pinball machine is Flicker. It's an old Hollywood pinball machine, and it looks like fucker when you look at it. <laughs> but I was when I was seven years old, I cut my finger on the Flicker machine really bad. Aww. right near the Laurel and Hardy, and I was upset because I love Laurel and Hardy so much. But uh, <laughs> I made it, and I tell you what, it was in a shopping mall. It was in upstate New York. There you go. It's in the Orange County Mall. Um. So, uh, so you know, uh, we don't meet Tilt for a while, who is Brooke Shields' character. First, we're introduced to Charles Durning as the whale, just two years after playing Sperm Whale Whalen in The Choir Boys, which is definitely a movie we're going to get to at some point. I don't know why we have to watch so much Charles Durning, Mike. We, we had to get through <laughs> Tough Guys. He's in two of these movies yeah, this week. Yeah, he comes week. up later. Don't forget. Yeah. 
And 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 he and I, it's really made me appreciate Charles Durning. Like God, man, this guy was a really great actor in in bad movies. But uh, but, but do yeah. you remember him? I mean, I always think of him, you know, as the governor from Best Little Warehouse, which is, I'm going to say, that is my number one comfort film of all time. I truly <laughs> love Best Little Warehouse in Texas. But, you know, he's like, he does this incredible dance. He was nominated for an Oscar. He's singing. He's, he's a <laughs> jaunty little fella. He's such a fucking disaster in this. Like, he looks so horrible. He's really big. And, and they're also they're also shooting him. If there, there's a really unflattering shot. He's he's oh. presented like Jabba the Hutt. Like, yeah. look at what a look at what a giant grotesque bad guy this is. So, to yes, the point it's that I wondered if he didn't have a pillow in his shirt, but may, I mean, maybe he just yeah. pulled his belt really tight. But uh, I just want to say the way like so they show like so he's like the unbeatable king of pinball. Yeah, he's uh, just like you Jackie said, to the Gleason, point of being he, like, uh, like, yeah, like Jackie Gleason. Yes. But, but to the point, like, of being like a Sydney Green Street gangster character. Like, don't fuck with the whale. But the My, way he quickly, plays pinball, like when he like leans down and kind of like like he's shooting a gun, and then he's all over the machine. You, you know, know can, like I wait, see I, guys play like that, and it infuriates me. My wife is in a a league. Um, Rachel's in the Bells and Chimes, which is a wonderful. Uh, female identifying pinball league, and I go and hang out, and the other guys who are around, I end up playing pinball with them, and they really do that shit. And I, I'm like, come on, man. I wish the whale would kick their ass. But go ahead, you're gonna say? I was gonna say, I gotta tell my, I was, I think I told you this, my friend Stephanie's Charles Durning story of Please. seeing him, seeing him on, she saw him on Broadway. <laughs> this is wonderful. Yes. She saw, saw him on Broadway. I can't remember what's Broadway. Some very serious uh, play about a man who's lost his wife and is dealing with dementia. And, and she was saying how the play has this devastating ending of Charles Durning alone on the stage, descending into madness, dancing by himself, thinking he's dancing with his wife. And and he's <laughs> dancing his way off the stage as the lights are going down. And right before the applause and the standing ovation, a woman in the crowd says, fills the whole theater. And she loudly says, he's so light on his feet for someone so fat. <laughs> and, and then there's the eruption of applause. <laughs> well, she was just saying what everybody was thinking. Oh, God. Yeah, he he's yes. So so we get to watch him. <laughs> we get to see a lot of Durning in this movie. So uh, yeah, Duran, the director, apparently campaigned to get Orson Welles to play the whale. <laughs> oh my god, that would have been great. Oh, and then, who knows if this is true or not? Uh, this was an IMDb trivia thing. It said uh, Orson Welles mentioned the script on the Tonight Show, which maybe if Donald Campbell wrote the friggin' thing, maybe he did. This would have been the darkest movie of all time. <laughs> Late era Orson Welles in a Donald Camel story. Can you imagine? But he, learning that about Orson Welles, now that explains that they're... So so that's why he did the like low angle, like, I'm going to really stress how yeah. fat. Cause it, yeah. So now that makes sense. He was basically, this was supposed to be Orson Welles. Now I get it. Uh, so Ken Marshall is the ostensible hero of the movie, Neil, who is uh, best known as Colwyn, the uh, hero of Krull. Um, he's a real zilch. I mean, you know, I, I have no feelings one way or another about Krull, but is he like really like just a, just a blank spot on the screen in that movie? Also, 
I don't. Yeah, I don't remember. I don't That's remember. Either. Yeah, I think I saw it like on Channel Eleven once, and I was like, "Oh, this is campy." Uh, he wants to be a country western singer, um, and uh, he tries to cheat the whale at the Cosmic Venus pinball machine. And it's an elaborate thing. Like they've got like him and his spazzy friend. Uh, they have this elaborate magnet system that they have broken into the machine and installed. Which, which I have, I have the credibility of the film. <laughs> I just, I just brought this up on one of the other podcasts that my my cousins growing up in upstate New York would say oh, to me, yeah. like, "Don't play pinball. It's the, the, the mafia owns the machines. They put magnets in them." And I've got to think they got the magnets thing from this movie. It has to. That has to be how it oh, entered the. Okay. The tween bloodstream of of upstate New York kids. Because <laughs> where else have you ever seen? It? I was shocked that that was a plot point in this movie. No, and, and then how on earth would they get have gotten into the whale's personal cosmic Venus machine? <laughs> yes, he's also you know who the whale is also like he's like Porky from Porky's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess and, it all goes back to Sidney Greenstreet. I yeah. guess he's the yeah. and but but also like Porky's, he's not really a bad guy. He was these these schmucks were trying to cheat him. Sure, and he's just like you know, take care of him, fellas. Don't come back here. Yeah. So you know, after what feels like forty five minutes, we meet uh, Tilt. Uh, Neil runs off to Los Angeles. And uh, she's 14 in the movie. Again, she looks like she's eight. She's got pinball champ spelled out on the seat of her jeans, <laughs> which I, I'm going to guess were not even Calvin Klein's at that point, uh, which she would later become so famous for having nothing coming between her and, and, the, and the jeans. Um, there's the weird encounter with Jeffrey Lewis, you know, the Clint Eastwood uh, co-star, father of Juliette Lewis, uh, as a trucker. Where uh, she, Tilt is like starts messing with him, and uh, he's talking about his wife, and she says, "How about me and you both make it with your wife?" And this trucker gets very offended and throws her out of his truck. Again, seems like a kids' movie was advertised <laughs> as a kids' movie. To me, that's what it looked like. Like I'm a kid, I love pinball, Completely. Work shoots, yeah. and they. I mean, she's referred to uh, the same way in just you and me kids right up the bat it's like you stupid bitch yeah, in this yeah. one it's she's referred to as you stupid little groupie whore you star banging <laughs> peanut uh like and and i was thinking i was like in this one it's like okay i guess it's like is it supposed to be like a judy bloom Book from the is from the seventies. Is that oh, what we're you going know, you for? Make, yeah, you know, you make a really good point there because that's that's that what I think it, it is, man. Like yeah. Cole Zindel, those kind of those gritty. That's I think realistic that's, dark young adult novels. Yeah, I think yeah. this is seventies YA. I think that's yeah. basically it. But but again, the, this is basically the same plot that just you and me, kid this and and the next we were going to talk about but it's all brooke the teen runaway who's uh negotiating <laughs> negotiating not being assaulted that's constantly <laughs> constantly discussed in these movies and her and her with the the male figure who and she has to tell him like hey that's not happening and then they grow <laughs> 
and then they grow to like each other and take on the bad guys. It, it's and I will say this is the most fascinating thing about all these movies to me. They do, they do all seem to be some meta commentary on what was going on with Brooke Shields at the time. That yeah. she was this inappropriately young woman launched into this sexualized situation, trying to navigate it and uh, and coming out on top through it. So. That's that made these. That's the most interesting thing about these movies to me. Is yeah. thematically, they do all seem to be screenwriters working out their guilt over what <laughs> Terry Shields is doing with her daughter and playing it out in the movies and having Brooke come out uh, victorious. So, right. So, I really do think she is due for this uh, rediscovery of uh, how that plays into the the things we're looking at in our culture now. But uh, but boy, it's a dull, dull rediscovery. That's for sure. That's for sure. I mean, the the big salacious moment in the movie is uh, when they're on the road. They're going back to uh, Neil is taking uh, tilt back to Texas to beat the whale without telling her that for some reason. And uh, they're hustling pinball parlors. And they run into a guy named Case, this like blonde uh, jerk, and it's uh, Lorenzo Lamas. And uh, well, so Neil like just kind of openly lights a joint in the arcade, and Lorenzo Lamas is like, "Hey, we don't do that around here." And then uh, he looks at Brooke, uh, and he says, uh, "You know," so he's like, or Neil says, "You know, that's tilt. Tilt will beat you at any game." And he looks at her, he goes, "Pinball's not the game I had in mind." Like clearly, you know, right? They're clearly indicating that that uh, the anti pot uh, pinball thug is going to rape this little girl. Right. Um, the weird cameo by Fred Ward. Did you notice that? Yes. Places money on tilt. Um. But and but then, by the way, there's there is a <laughs> that scene you're saying like oh the guy's anti pot. But yeah. he's gonna assault her, and that's the her introductory scene, which that you were just talking about with the truck driver. Yeah. I was kind of amazed by it's really it really is a great introduction scene for her character, and that is the same thing. The truck driver is presented as this Archie Bunker redneck yeah. ranting. You know, she says, uh, but then she says to him, "Do you have any dope?" And he says, us truck drivers were the first dopers in America. Oh, Don't you think? <laughs> yeah, they invented it. Yeah. And then he kicks, and then he's clearly kind of picking up on her, but but she says, oh, we'll make it with your wife. And he's like, get out of here, you pervert. It, it's all these waves of calling him the middle America guy, the hypocrite, kicks, yes. him, kicks him out, and then got, <laughs> Brooke Shields says, God bless America. Just, just to blow your minds, movie viewers. <laughs> and and it really, I really was like, you know, I I hate to say this, Mike. I'm, uh, anyways, Please. it's it's a it's the screenplay is not bad. It's 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 that thing we've talked about with movies. Is it's better than it needs to be. More, I agree with you. I agree. More thought went into the screenplay than needs to be, and that is a theme. Like, oh, the hypocrisy of these people and Brooke Shields. Uh, you know, really putting us on her side to navigate through this yeah. world of of scummy, hypocritical men and all that. I, I agree with you uh, very much, uh, and I would imagine that was the Donald Camel element here. I guess, but it is. It really is like 
it, I really notice, like, while the dialogue is just sharper in this movie than it needs to be, in this classic 40s, it, it, it is like this classic 40s screenplay kind of thing, but you, I get the feeling drugs destroyed this movie. You, get, you know, you get I the mean, feeling. like, what kind? Like, cough syrup? I mean, just so. I awful. don't know. Pot. I think pot. Yeah. Think. But, but like, like real, like, skunky, shitty. Uh, skunk weed apparently is good. Uh, this is how much I know. Right before cocaine took over Hollywood. That, that's yeah. what this movie feels yeah, like. Yeah, clearly. This is a film. If any film screamed for cocaine, this would be. <laughs> yes. No, everybody's smoking weed on this one. Um. You know, the I would agree with you with the dialogue, especially when Tilt finally, when they make it to Texas, and she then bonds with the whale over uh, sort of the philosophy of pinball. And that is good dialogue, and it's uh, Charles Durning, yeah. very good, and uh, Brooke, terrible. But it was just so boring, just so miserably boring. <laughs> Can I tell you my favorite snappy dialogue in the movie was Ken Please. Marshall, the aspiring yeah. singer, who's yeah. going around bombing. He can't make it yeah. in Hollywood. He gets kicked out of the troubadour, and he's with his nerdy buddy-slash-manager kind of go yeah. guy, and he says to him, uh, this town is full of bullshit. And the manager kid says to him, yeah, but so is my garden, and that's what makes it grow. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, man, they put some effort into this. All right. That's good. Uh, I still, I'm just going to. Oh, and then, yeah, yeah. Ken Marshall, at one point, he does explicitly make a right, a class warfare speech saying that uh, he's a poor person, so he has the right to cheat the whale yes. at pinball. Yes. And, yeah. Uh, that don't fly with me. I don't know where uh, the screenplay was coming down on that, on, on whose side there. I'll I tell you who, the freaks. Come down the side of the freaks. But is the whale not a fucking freak? I mean, Jesus <laughs> Christ. No, the whale, my friend, in his very name, is the symbol of bloated American greed and power. Uh, the man, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes. The whale. So, uh, Brooke Shits, this was terrible. This was a miserable film to sit through. I, I mean, I, when you're, if I, if we, I just said you can't grade on the curve, so I'm going to call it Brooke Shits too, because it's just yeah. too dull and too, uh, too yeah. hard to get through, but, but definitely some interesting stuff. Interesting uh, stuff, not enjoyable in, in, in any way. And, and before we go into the next movie, Mike, this, this movie made me realize for some reason that I don't think any of Brooke's movies got a Mad Magazine parody. No, Did they? they didn't even get in the theater. For the most but, part, but I mean the big ones, Blue Lagoon, Endless no. Love. Uh, like, how she, could that? But like, I, how could that? I don't know how Mad could have done that. Oh, Blue Lagoon, Blue Lagoon. Uh, maybe. I could I mean, see not the Endless Blue Love, Lagoon. But, but, but I could totally see Endless Lust. Like you can't see the. I can totally imagine that. Uh, it's too weird and dark and long, and like no kid would know about it. I guess. I don't know. I Maybe. definitely I could see Blue Lagoon because that was again that was a kids movie, and that it was just for thirteen year olds. Yeah. Um. And it was sort of you know it was just it was a thirteen year olds fantasy made for thirteen year olds and rated R. Um. But I, I can't imagine endless love. And we should, let's talk about those movies for a moment. So those are the two major Brooke Shields films. And uh, both uh, are not good, <laughs> but both are interesting. And Endless Love, um, my friend Peter Landau always recommended the book to me. 
and I finally read it probably, I don't know, 10 years ago or so. It's amazing. It's a scary, unsettling. It freaked me out back then before, like, the Me Too movement. I can't imagine reading it now, what it would do to the male mind that comes across that book. In terms of just just male obsession, just the, you know, adolescent male obsession that doesn't go away. And entitlement and uh, feeling wronged just by existing. Uh, an amazing book that does not translate in uh, the Franco Zeffirelli film, nor in... Uh, what was that guy's a Martin Hewitt's performance? <laughs> Martin Hewitt, yeah. Yeah. I, I almost called him Leonard Whiting, who played Romeo in the Zeffirelli Romeo and Juliet. And then Blue Lagoon, I did not realize until, uh, you know, re- researching this, our episode, I didn't realize what a franchise it was. I didn't realize oh, there yeah. were numerous sequels, and they're, yeah. they're still making them. They're Remakes, still making Return yeah. to Blue Lagoon movies. Yeah. Well, there was the first one in 1991 with the naked uh, 14-year-old Mila Jovovich in it. Jeez. Yeah, that was rated PG-13. (laughs) So insane. In 91. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, Bullet Gold was definitely, uh, you know, it was fun when we were kids. It was definitely a rite of passage. Uh, We, at the Gays in the Military practice case, we had a poster of uh, why? Am, how can I blind Chris Atkins in his like see-through cotton jock strap with his huge schlong pointed right at the camera, like a you know, like that was like a teen pinup poster for your room. Yeah, we used, to, we used to touch his schlong for luck. Yeah, during the practice. <laughs> um, so those are the big Brooke Shields movies, and uh, we kind of got out of order. They're from uh, 1980 and 1981, respectively. So let's jump back to 79. Wanda, Nevada. Now, this is a bad movie. I'm going to say it's the best of these movies. I, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this one just inching over beyond the curve. I'm going to give it a shines. Yeah. If shines. One centimeter over, I'm going to give yeah. this the Brooks shines. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's not good, but it's not horrific like the other one. <laughs> uh, directed by and starring Peter Fonda, he only directed uh, three movies. Fonda, The Hired Hand, the revisionist western, which I saw at the Music Box like fifteen years ago, and I don't remember it. Oh, did you wow. ever see that? No, never did. Idaho Transfer, which is a movie I had never heard of from nineteen seventy three. Which is a sci-fi apocalyptic oh, yeah. sci-fi movie about sending teenagers into the future. Yeah, I never. I just assumed it was another western and read that synopsis yeah. and was shocked. Yeah. yeah. Um. Once again, I don't believe. I don't know that this ever played in New York City theaters. But um, I certainly remember it existing, and it's yeah, another definitely. one that I remember. Like, oh, another kind of kids. Kind yeah. of Brooke Shields kid movie. She's in the old west. She's a cowgirl, and she's having a yeah. good time. Like the posters stuff were definitely like rock 'em sock 'em fun, which yeah. the movie is not. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you ever see this on cable? Uh, no, and I can't imagine what my reaction would have been, or anyone seeing. I mean, it's really hard to imagine an audience reaction to this, but especially off of that ad campaign of put get out your six shooters, yeah, fun and. Brooke Shields yeah, are they're playing yeah, cards and riding horses. Yes, yeah. it is not that at all. No, but um, 
But at the same time, watching this, I kept thinking with slight, just slight adjustments, this could have been a Disney movie. And it should have been a Disney movie. Like, (laughs) if he had been a gambler who, like, lost a bet and had to transport this orphan to her aunt, like, three states over or something, you know, this it would have worked nicely as a Disney movie, I think. And yet, the Disney movie would not have had extremely violent, cruel villains slashing, <laughs> slashing throats to get to that orphan and saying, and explicitly stating their plan to assault her and yes. saying, I don't plan on marrying her. And, but, but because it's a Brooke Shields movie, again, it must be th- that cranked up in yeah. that inappropriate way. Well, that was the slight adjustment I was talking about. If Disney had just taken out those elements of it. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think this really could have worked as a kid's movie. As it is, it's Brooke Shields is, uh, chattel that is owned by one of the card players. And, uh, well, this is, why is this set in the 1950s? It's, that I mean, was baffling to me. well, that's one of the interesting things about the movie is it is this attempt to be out of time. It's the fifties, which there are explicit references to, but it feels like a Western, but then it feels more like a paper moon depression, depression yeah, era thing. That it does, yeah. So it is. So <laughs> this is going to get ready to throw up. Mike Fonda, <laughs> Fonda said this movie was a fairy tale. Oh. And so, <laughs> okay, get, wipe the vomit off your microphone. Thank uh, God but, I have the cough screen in front of the mic. <laughs> that's that's why it's set in the fifties, is to make it this timeless, uh, you know, tale that could float through any era. And, yeah, it, I mean, it truly suggests either the eighteen fifties after the gold yeah. rush, or the eighteen seventies after the Civil War. Fonda was Fonda was a mind blown guy. You're right, and, and, you're right. A man out of time. The season the, of the universe, yeah. And this movie reminded me more than anything of like a Dennis Hopper movie. It's it's like it's like last movie Peter Fonda's walking through a completely <laughs> sleepwalking. He's not I mean, good. He, he, I mean, he's, he's good a zombie. in other movies. He's terrible here. Yeah. He's a zombie, and and it's just wandering around this landscape in long extended scenes, and and so yeah, I think I this to me was Dennis Hopper style, blow your mind. Uh, that that's what he's going for, and, and then going into this weird fantasy landscape at the end with, yeah. like we'll talk about, and then but you know heavy Disney esque elements. Um, and then I, because I kept thinking, so it opens with this card game, everybody's cheating, and uh, Peter Father just shoots the guy mm-hmm. that was good, that that owned Brooke Shields just just. Blew, you know, blast them full of lead. I was like, I don't think in 1950s Nevada you could just kill somebody for cheap cards. You could in 1850s Nevada. <laughs> right. I think based on movies, which is all I know. But uh, anyway, so it opens with that, and then they take off on the road. Uh, Fonda has a mustache that comes and goes. Did you notice that? <laughs> no, I didn't. His little That's blonde funny. wisp. That's he funny. has maybe the most annoying character choice ever is the unlit cigarette in his mouth the whole time. <laughs> and and once again, they 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 as they cross the country, they're 
staying in motels and again shields is negotiating not having to have sex with him and this is yeah. the, a constant scene it, it, the scene in all these movies with the man and her saying now you're not going to have sex with me uh, you know yeah uh, d- yes she has to do that with fonda which is creepy yeah. even though she does <laughs> develop a crush on him eventually well that's the creepiest yeah. thing about this movie is that in the other movies it is ex- made explicit like no it's a platonic it, yes, this movie yeah. does suggest no it does go on to become a romantic no, it relationship. No, it suggests that they go in and get married at the end. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. So I mean clearly that's what's going to happen. In his Studebaker, I was like what happened? Did like Fonda buy a Studebaker that he loves so much and was like no, make this in the 50s so I can show off my Studebaker. Yeah, no the the creepy message of this movie is that she goes from saying now don't you assault me. <laughs> I am a 13-year-old, to about the hour mark saying to him, why won't you have sex with me? <laughs> like, she becomes Mrs. Roper yes. at one point, yeah. And he's and very much like, uh, you know, Mr. Roper would, would crack wise and <laughs> turn to the camera <laughs> mug. Um, so, uh, you know, they, they meet these colorful Western characters. Severn Darden as Merlin Bittersticks, who is a... Uh, loquacious kind of a feet bird watcher he really wants to have sex with brooke yes <laughs> god and merlin bittersticks i once again brings to mind roger ebert's edict about movie characters with funny names they're never funny unless it's in a marx brothers movie um and uh sever darden was uh uh, here's his filthy animal credentials. He participated in the 1964 Merry Pranksters acid test, and he played a laid-back Soviet agent in the president, President's Analyst. And then he was also in uh, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes and Battle for the Planet of the Apes, and he was the college dean in Real Genius. That's quite a career. Yeah, Severn not Garden. bad. Not bad. Uh, they meet a classy uh, British photographer. Uh, Dorothy Deerfield, who's played by Fiona Lewis, who for a minute I thought was Fiona Richmond, who we talked about in the look of uh, Yeah, right. <laughs> Not the subject of Fiona on fire, as we learned. Oh, wait a minute. Stop, stop the show. Uh, another fact check correction. That is not, going back to uh, the uh, John Ritter episode. Yes. The rabbi in Americathon is not Larry David. Oh, Oh, man. It's director Neil Israel. Fascinating. And this is a fact I learned because I bought the book, Americathon, The Sketches Behind the Movie by Phil Proctor and Peter Bergman. Wow. I'm glad you corrected that one. Yeah. But, I mean, how much does that look like Larry David? Sure. Sure. It's that that instant lock, you know, brain lock recognition. There's Larry David as the rabbi from Friday's. Right, yeah. So that was Neil Israel. So, all right, we now resume. Uh, that's Brooksploitation. Well, and I'll tell you a Wanda Nevada uh, actor who jumped at me. There's a there's an old Native American man who the bad guys shoot in the chest who oh, looks yeah. who looks exactly like Joe Biden. It, it disturbed <laughs> oh, yeah, the hell out of me. He looked just like Joe Biden. It really, yeah, real double take. Wow. So, um, 
Yeah, the movie then becomes a fantasy. And then I was thinking, it's not so much like uh, Disney at that point. It's sort of like those Sun Classic movies, like like the Wilderness Family, the the Grizzly Adams, like yeah. they're real cheap. And this is when the Apache ghosts start shooting arrows and appearing on horseback and doing like magic light shows in the sky. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it goes into that weird fantasy stuff. You know what this movie reminded me of, Mike? It's Please. it's it's like a Neil Young song. <laughs> that's, very that's much, this, very much. This movie is uh, every I'm, Neil I'm, Young I'm motif to that in a movie. Vibe, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fifties cars, Native American ghosts, Neil Young soundtrack. Way more oh, than God. the Jim Jarmusch movie. Way more. Oh, that would have been yes. You know what? Let's do that. Let's we spend our time editing yeah. Neil Young songs into this movie. <laughs> Well, and release it. Oh, I'll reach out to him and ask. I'm friends with Jimmy McDonough, who's not allowed legally to talk about Neil Young anymore. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um. So the comic, they finally when they, they it's a whole thing where they they get the Apache gold in the in the Grand Canyon, and uh, the bad guys catch up to them. And yeah, that was brutal when they shoot the Native American who's just sitting there it's, with a dog. It's yeah. brutal. Yeah, it's a yeah. brutal movie. But they, they get their comeuppance, and it, just to remind you, it's the 70s. They're crucified and being pucked at, pecked at by a vulture. <laughs> Wanda Nevada, come on down to the theater for a good time in the yeah. Old West, but yeah. not the Old West. Well, what would otherwise be sort of like an Apple Dumpling Gang movie. These guys are hung dead on crosses. <laughs> so insane. Um. And then uh, Peter Fonda dies, but comes back to life, apparently, at the end. Yeah. And uh, drive off. And it's clear they're going to, like, you know, there'll be a uh, statutory time in the Studebaker tonight is the message at the end there. So, uh, I got to say, because this was the most enjoyable of these movies to watch. Because it was because it was a mess, because it was that 70s thing of the tone being all over the place. But it had but it was just this sprawling, rambling Peter Fonda as the guy who grew up on movie sets and just just wants to shoot everything again in a very Dennis Hopper way. There's a funny scene where these two vicious bad guys are hanging out in the car just singing songs together, you know, yeah. get very Tarantino kind of, yeah. uh, and, and there's a, did you notice there's a big sequence about an hour in with Fiona Lewis where she, Peter Fonda and Brooke Shields all talk about how their characters have been affected by war yes. and yeah. bond over. So, so yeah. it's, it's an, it's a, uh, the kind of thing that the blockbusters, you know, in the seventies brought an end to, which is, no, mainstream movies, you, you do not, you don't get to spend this time fucking around anymore. It, no, you no. you make entertaining movies and that's it. You make movies it, yeah. where exciting things happen. You don't stop to have characters fuck around right. and sing song or talk about war until, I guess, Tarantino came out and was like, no, we, we find an entertaining way to let our characters ramble. And, but uh, just him. <laughs> yes, just him. Yeah, that's right. And again, it's like, why was it not the Civil War? They were talking. They, they were talking about, you know, I guess World War Two, Korea or something. But uh, he was uh, he was talking about, uh, yeah, no, Korea, it's, right? One of one of the villains has been drafted. He's been drafted. Korea. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. what it was. Yeah, I'm telling you, the, yes. So, so a really fascinating. Uh, Fascinating, but it cannot be stressed enough. Super dull movie. Yeah, yeah, not good. Not yes, good. dull. Well, just 
I'm like I said, just inched into good for me. Yeah, relatively in, shiny. Yeah, I mean, inched into Brooke shines. Okay, now Brooke shits Sahara. <laughs> this was yes. so. We were not going to do Sahara. Um, and then people online, I've been teasing this episode, and people were saying, oh, you got to do Sahara because it's a Golan and Globus production and, uh, you know, a massive financial disaster for everybody. Um, and so we, uh, I said, I said, I would, I would definitely watch it. I would take this hit like I took Holocaust 2000 in the, uh, crackpot Kirk Douglas episode, but then Aaron, uh, pleasantly surprised me and he too suffered through Sahara. Mm-hmm. I'm speaking presumptuously. Mm-hmm. Brooke shines or Brooke shits here. Uh, oh, I mean, Brooke shits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no question. <laughs> Uh, music by Ennio Morricone. A great, I mean, of course, everything yeah. he does is amazing, but a great Morricone soundtrack that oh, yeah. lends way too much weight <laughs> to, I mean, way truly, too much. This is like Morricone's, you know, Lawrence of Arabia music. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. And there's this incredible dissonance of this terrible movie with this oh, majestic soundtrack. God. And by the way, a movie that looks great. Like, especially for a canon film. Yeah. It really showed you. I read the budget was $15 million, and I was like, wow. It was 25. It seems like it had to have been more, even, because it was amazing looking. To think, like, okay, you take a canon film, move the decimal point from 2.5 to 25, and you're like, this this looks amazing. And uh, you think, like, about Ishtar which had all those problems shooting in the desert and ran up that insane budget. It's like... This looks better than Ishtar. Yeah, and I and and that's I guess the director. Uh, yeah. uh what's his name? Mc Mc McLaughlin McLaughlin Andrew, who who did who did those kind of boring British? Oh, so goddamn uh, awful! The Wild Geese and uh, Folks, Folks, which I was obsessed with as a kid, which was advertised as this. Sexy James Bond. It's yeah. Roger Moore who was James yeah, yeah. Bond, which was advertised like this sexy romp. I never knew the original title was North Sea Hijack, and that it was just <laughs> another. And it, it was just another kind of Sergeant Rock cigar chomping style, boring World so War Two style boring. movie, a stuffy British military movie, and that's what yeah. this guy was the king of. So he was like he was wearing like an outfit like the Phantom on the poster. It said he loves cats, and he had like yeah. cats around. It was like oh, I always wanted to see it, and and yeah. then it was a Siskel and Ebert oh dog of the year. Gosh. It was one of their dogs of the year, and and folks. <laughs> Boy, did they, what a deceptive ad campaign. Yeah. So, so, but this guy clearly knew what he was doing. I mean, he was a pro at staging yeah. these kind of yeah. movies. And, and uh, uh, yes. Appa- and, yeah. and apparently two directors quit before filming started. Wow. Uh, Terry Shields was the executive producer, Brooke's mother. Um, now, now, again, these numbers come from, like, Wikipedia and IMDb, so who knows how reliable they are. So it said the movie was budgeted at $25 million. It grossed uh, 1.5 million or less than that, 1.4 million. Uh, Brooks' fee was 1.5 million. <laughs> and uh, Terry Shields got 250,000 to produce. There is an amazing People magazine cover story, February 28th, 1983. Um, 
called The Shock of Arabia about Brooke making this movie. And what was great about reading this People magazine story and going through the old newspaper ads, it reminded me that journalism was once a thing and it was everywhere. And there were writers with genuine style in daily newspapers and People right. magazine with a point of view, funny turns of phrase, surprising information. Uh, yeah, and it just, that was, that was what we grew up with in the seventies. And I guess like the eighties just kind of annihilated all that. I guess USA today was like, uh, the flashpoint that just set off the factoid. Remember everybody bitching about factoids. Sure. And, um, and, and I assume, it, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was just gonna say that everything is just, you know, re, re, you know, regurgitated PR releases and stuff. And I assume, and and the, you bring up people like the kind of this like tabloid side of this, right? Right. The, Terry Shields' presence in all these movies is so fascinating. Sahara was going to be Brooks' epic, you know, yeah. like like you read the Terry Shields really, really was, you know, trying to craft Brooks' career. She's even in Wanda Nevada, which we I was going to mention. Let's, let's roll back to that fascinating scene <laughs> in a cameo where she basically she accuses Peter Fonda of sleeping with and basically says like, oh, you're just carting around that 13 year old that have sex with her, essentially a yeah. really weird when we talk yeah. about the meta commentary yeah. of these movies, like that, that Terry Shields is calling out a guy for just wanting to have sex with her daughter. The only person so, in the movie who voices any kind of disapproval. Right. Yeah. Really bizarre. So, so Sahara from what I can tell was Terry saying like, th th this is, this is it. This is going to be, and, and I guess this was kind of coming off Raiders of the Lost Ark, too, right? Like, it's not yes. just Lawrence of Arabia, but it's supposed no, to be a rollicking yeah, adventure yeah. in the desert. Yeah. Yeah. Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, but again, um, I always thought, like, you know, I would see this box cover, the, the video store. I'd be like, what could be more boring than watching people drive old cars or any cars across the desert? And I was right. It's... But, uh, it's so so, and it, but it, yeah, right. This Zorba the Greek style, like it's just so <laughs> bad and poorly timed. It, and it, if they had gone full on Raiders, I would have got that. You would have understood. It would have worked. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, kids would have gone to see it. You know, there's also the scene in here where uh, Brooke undresses by a waterfall, but she isn't really undressed right. that much. And it made me think. Oh, okay, so. It could have also been this Bo Derek Bolero thing, but they didn't quite go that way. It 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 never, yeah, it never really commits to that. Part much reminded of me of uh, another Cool and Globus classic, Paradise with Phoebe Cates. Oh yeah, a lot yeah. of waterfalls there. The Blue Lagoon ripoff, another Brooke Shields connection. And and for all those Golden and Globus obsessives out there, you're talking about it, this was also written by James R. Silk. Did you see he did a bunch of the canon classics? Yeah. He did all yeah. the ninja movies, yeah. Revenge of the Ninja, which are completely awesome. I love those. Yes, movies. yeah, and and King Solomon's Mines for them and the Barbarians. Yeah. So yeah, he was right. obviously now, those were the successful. Guy. I've never seen any yes. of those uh, Alan Quartermain movies, but had they done that. Yeah, and, right. And had Brooke as the hero. Uh, go, you know. go full Raiders. Go yeah. full Raiders. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so let me just, I, I uh, pulled a lot of quotes from this People article. I'm going to post this on our social media. But uh, Terry was extremely hated on the set. Uh, everybody f despised her. 
She said, this is one of the weirdest things I've ever read. <laughs> so this is the first paragraph of this article. Um, you know, they talk about, so Brooke is in drag at, at one point in this movie. She has to pretend to be uh, a man in order to be able to race in the Sahara Desert in this Arabian country. And uh, so she's got, like, the white suit, this little mustache on. And uh, her name is Dale Gordon. And I swear I thought it was Gail Gordon, you know, from uh, the Lucy show. <laughs> a little homage to the great Gail Gordon. Um, but it was Dale Gordon. So in this article, they talk about she had this kissing scene. Uh, and she didn't like kissing the guy. But uh, afterwards, they say, cut it to his mom, she asked. Was that good? Terry gives a nod. Brooke eases to her mother's side and plants a tender kiss on her lips. When the crew sets up the next scene, Brooke cups her palms around Terry's breasts and tucks her long fingers inside her mother's armpits for warmth. What? Wow. Okay. The quote is, I'm so tired of kissing the little boy with the mustache, says Terry. I want Brooke the girl back. <laughs> oh, my God. What? I don't know what's going on there. What a weirdo. <laughs> so weird. And then they went through a bunch of uh, potential leading men b- before deciding on the complete zero that they hired. And uh, you know, so that- we had to we had to grow up in this, and <laughs> like that's so. Listen, people, that's why we're so fucked up. And then the Terry Shields of the world—they're running the world. That's why the world is collapsing. That's why it's burning down as we record this. Like it's, it's just just a disaster. Uh. I, I think it was fun. I think we had fun. I don't know. Though. Well, and again, like I said earlier, Brooke seemed to in this movie. She's yeah. having a blast. <laughs> There's a scene where they're playfully, like, they're hanging her upside down at a party, and she's oh, laughing. Yeah. You can see, like, she's really, there's no acting. Oh, and then no. when she shows up in the mustache, you know, and then that scene, yeah. she's like, hey, cut it out. And then when she shows up in the mustache, like, I'm Dale Gordon. I'm a man now. That's who I am. Dale Gordon, let me try. <laughs> There's no attempt to modulate. Oh, uh, you saw she won a Razzie for her male performance in this. I Did saw, you see that? Yeah, I, I don't like to acknowledge the Razzies, but yeah, she won. She won two best worst <laughs> actress and worst actress with a mustache. You, you got to give her something for getting that. That's pretty good. I bet I she. Will, I yeah. bet she gave a fun speech. I bet she was ha ha. You know, I I believe she did not. I think the only actress that well, the first one was uh, uh, Halle Berry for Catwoman. No kidding. They didn't yeah. show up before that. That's shocking. And then, uh, yeah, I know uh, Sandra Bullock did at some point, but uh, general, I just I'm, I'm anti-Razzie. I don't, I don't care for the Razzie mentality. Oh, I go every year. I wear a tux. <laughs> tux t-shirt. Oh, you, you just don't know, Mike. It's Couple great. You do the tux body <laughs> paint. Tux yeah. t-shirt. Yeah. Just the shirtless tux t-shirt painted on your body. You know, just... Uh, so, I will post this article. It's... Uh, it's great. It's it's amazing, and that's yeah. As you said, just that was the weird. <laughs> yeah, um, but t- it, j- j- terrible movie. Just I mean, just just there's nothing to say. It's it's awful. Yeah, it's bad. It's, it's bad. You know, they they got a lot of. They rented some exotic jungle cats. They got some use out of, but not really. They didn't really do anything with them. Yeah, um, it, there's nothing it's to dull. say. It was it was torture to sit through. Uh, Brooke majorly shits. Major, I mean, huge shits. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I'm going to say, 
the last movie is actually the one I thought was the worst, Brenda Star. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Um, and I, I don't know why, because there was a level of anger that I didn't feel <laughs> towards Sahara. Like, Sahara was just terrible. This infuriated me for some reason. And it Interesting. It's so boring. Uh, based on the comic strip Brenda Starr reported that ran from uh, 1940 to 2011, which was created by a female artist and writer named Dahlia Messick, who used the pseudonym Dale Messick. I love that. Well, that's a know meta that. moment for us. Yeah, that's great. Uh, it's actually the fourth movie version of Brenda Starr. There was Brenda Starr Reporter in 1945 with Joan Woodbury taking on a criminal gang. Brenda Starr, an ABC TV movie that I watched, uh, don't part of it, at least I don't remember. Is that around the same time as that weird uh, Kathy Lee Crosby Wonder Woman TV movie? Yeah, and the uh, Captain America CBS movies. Um, and then Brenda Starr Reporter in 1979, which was an unsold TV pilot with Sherry Jackson of Make Room for Daddy, which I never saw. Uh, this production was originally announced in 1981, starring Debbie Harry and George Hamilton. So you yeah. can kind of imagine what they were going for in 81 with like kind of a new wave pop art. Flash Gordon. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. That, yeah. Yes. Probably would have sucked also. That <laughs> Might have been great. Flash Gordon, I love. Uh, oh, sure. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't but know. I don't know about that. You never know. You uh, never know. Probably not. Uh, 81 was a good year. You never know. You never know. Um, initially, uh, was a Golden Globus project, but they they walked at some point. Uh, they checked the dailies halfway through or so and headed for those uh, or Sahara Hills that we got to see so much right. of in the movie Sahara. Did not meet the canon level of quality. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I hated this movie. I hate the music. I hate yeah. the fucking 30s and 40s settings. I like, I love movies from the 30s and 40s. I hate movies set in the 30s and 40s in general, unless they're really good. Uh, I hate jazz swing and big band music. That's the fucking music my parents listened to when I was a kid torturing me. My, my, my bizarre parents were young enough or were the right age to be there for Elvis and the Beatles, and they chose the Glenn Miller Orchestra instead. So I grew up with this shit in my house on all these AM radios with all the treble turned all the way down and the bass turned all the way up for some reason. With, you know, I, I can tell you why your dad did that to mute the, wah, 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 you know, trumpets <laughs> even more. It's, it's not quite muted enough. It needs to be even more muffled and. <laughs> He at least was probably trying to escape the acid rock of Vietnam or something. But sure. Uh, my mother had no excuse. Um, yeah, a very 80s premise. Uh, Tony Peck is Mike the cartoonist. Uh, he was drawing the Brenda Starr strip and... Uh, you know, the, the cartoon comes to life and talks to him. Um which did surprise me. I like uh, going into this. I was shocked that it they even tried. It was like, well, that's ambitious, I guess, that they even tried the meta. The cartoon comes to life, you know, kind of thing. And it was pre Roger Rabbit. So, so at, off the bat, I was like, well, okay, this might uh, get into some interesting stuff, and it it does not. No, I mean, really, again, that, that I feel like that was an early eighties holdover in and, the script. Uh, 
And uh, can that I tell seems you, very new wave to me. There's a there's a number of very new wave things. Th- this movie, I guess. So yeah, when were they shooting? Eighty five, I think. Eighty six. It was supposed 86. to come out eighty six. Yeah. It's it's really perfectly poorly timed. It's pre. Yeah. It's pre-Batman, the second, you know, Michael right. Keaton wave right. of superhero movies. It's post-Flash Gordon. Um, right. and, and the tone uh, reminded me more of, it actually reminded me more of late 60s comic strip, sure. uh, da- Danger Diabolic, yeah. which is a yeah. good movie, but, right. but more like, you know what it reminded me of? The Doc Savage, George Powell Man movie. Man of Broads, yes. I don't yeah. know if you've ever seen that. I it, have, yeah. I, I saw hate it. It's so bad. So and it, it re- boring, yeah. It reminded me more of, of that stuff. The 60s approach to camp yeah. um, with some nods to the almost forbidden zone kind of new wave right. thing, right. It, it, which was also kind of after the fact. So, yes, just, just perfectly, <laughs> perfectly yeah. poorly timed. So, uh, I want to say the, the Tony Peck, Mike the Cartoonist, uh, he uh, was married to supermodel Cheryl Teagues, and he wrote and produced a movie we are going to cover, a 2001 epic curiosity called Diary of a Sex Addict, which is a film I've been pushing on the public as much as possible <laughs> since I first saw it. Can't wait to see years it. Ago. Uh, so you have the supporting cast. Eddie Albert is a cop. Diana Scarwood is, is the villainous, uh, lips, lips comb. So she started the decade in mommy dearest, which is, you know, camp done right. Ended it here. Uh, Kathleen Wilhoit, who we gave a lot of love to in our shout factory commentary, uh, for their private school Blu-ray as Hank O'Hare. Who is walking around with Peter Fonda's unlit cigarette in her mouth the whole time? And Hank O'Hare, do you remember this character from the? I read this comic strip every day, didn't understand it, and read it for years. Right? Um, uh, yeah. Me do too. you remember Hank O'Hare? Like you couldn't tell it was a, the gender of Hank O'Hare. It was a very progressive character. Interesting. Yeah. No, I don't. It did it like same as you. I would look at it every day, and my every brain day, yeah. could not yeah. retain yeah. it. I just remember Brenda Starr, and I remember the eye patch guy. That, that's yeah. all that <laughs> that's right. Who's ever in the stuck fucking in my movie? Yeah. And Timothy yes. Dalton. Timothy who, Dalton, yes. Who is, who is a movie star and who, <laughs> like, you just can't help but see him this going like, oh, that's weird. There's a movie star in here being a professional <laughs> actor, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the great Charles Durning. So there's a reunion oh, of Tilt oh, and the Whale. He's got to show up. we got to have Durning. He's the editor of the Flash newspaper that Brenda reports for. Henry Gibson is an Einstein spoof, Professor Kreutzer. Yes, and then Timothy Dalton is Basil St. John. And at one point, I wondered, like, if, what if he, like, lifted his eye patch and it was just this horrific gaping hole in his wound? <laughs> And Henry Gibson, you talk about that Einstein thing. He's in this like black and white fake newsreel footage. It, it's it that also with Charles Durning with his like he's got the crazy skunk hair, the, the black and white, hair, yeah, yeah, two tone hair. And that was the stuff that I saw and was like, oh, I see. This was supposed to be a new wave movie, right? Yeah, and it was supposed to be very arch that way, but no one here can pull it off, especially no. Brooke. And so the parody '40s acting, we're being 1940s. It does, oh, it really does great, man. God. It really oh is. Oh my god, nails on a chalkboard. <laughs> 
It's so awful. It's, you know, it's especially awful when like, young people do that voice and they don't know what. They're imitating someone else's memory of this The, the movie. Simpsons. They're imitating the oh, Simpsons. That's, what okay. that's what that they're doing. Sense. Yeah, they're yeah. doing the Simpsons. Like the but, old, like, you know, the Troy McClure movies, and like educational films and stuff, yeah. And how about seeing Jeffrey Tambor show up and being like, oh, Russian, thank God, yeah. Jeffrey yeah. Tambor, yeah. It, it being a Russian agent who it brings to mind all the death of Stalin stuff he did that was so great. And then there's just, he's got nothing to do. And he, you know, he yeah. it, none of them have anything to do. And they're just wandering around. It, it reminded me of, I, you never saw the, what to me are the terrible Frank Miller movies, right? Like the spirit and sin no, city. And no, no, th- no, th- no. This is what that reminded me of almost you know more what? than I anything. I did see the first sin city. Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was horrible. Yeah. It was yes. Just, it reminded me, it reminded me of that stuff. I yeah. would agree. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, but like st- st- hundreds of degrees less professional in that movie. And let me tell you something terrible. really, really bothered me about this movie. It's about a comic strip, and it's about a comic strip coming to life. But right. they don't know that. They think it's about cartoons. And so they put funny cartoon sound effects, slide whistles yeah. and birds tweeting and bonks yeah. on everything because it's a cartoon come to life, and that's what cartoons do, get it? And that annoyed the shit out of me. Like, as if it couldn't be annoying enough, we're going to put really annoying I cartoon sound effects agree. to make it all the unfunnier. And once again, as you know, something we talked about last time, aside from Forbidden Zone, has it ever worked? It's never worked, the live nope. action cartoon. Oh, boy, does it not work here. Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. It's a bad, this is a bad movie. This, 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 was, a, this was a quick <laughs> shit. Yeah. This was the worst, I thought. Uh, I, I just can't think. Could you imagine sitting in a fucking theater and watching this? No, and, and I don't. I think very few people did. I guess right. I don't like, know barely if it got ever released. came out. Really, yeah, uh, yeah. I think it didn't. I think it didn't really get a theatrical release, and then it got a delayed like <laughs> premiere on like the Lifetime Channel or something. You know, back when they were a different kind of channel and just showed the Brady girls get married every day. And let's but, say this for Brooks' likability. Again, doesn't seem to bother her. I never feel bad for Brooke Shields in one of these movies. I'm always like, no. she looks like she's having a decent time. She, yeah. she walks she's got through the red it hair. And she she's showing off. Yeah, looking good. Now, there's other actors you feel bad for. You yeah. get depressed by. But watching her, I'm just like, ah, she's fine. And she doesn't care. Yeah, uh, she doesn't care. There's the horrible sequence about her not having a belly button. Yes. Which is apparently based on... Uh, the creator of this comic strip would sometimes draw a belly button and the syndicator would cover it over or erase it. That's right. Yeah, I remember that. Sorry. Yeah. Um, the big laugh. What was going to be the big thing everybody was talking about was her water skiing on the alligators. <laughs> and yeah. I'm truly just like, you know, throwing garbage at my TV screen at that point. <laughs> Not until Ace Ventura, when nature yeah. crawls. <laughs> Would that finally be done right? Does Which he actually do been... that in that? No, he does it in the post. In the post, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know that I have suffered through a longer ninety-three minutes than Brenda Starr. I really don't. I, I actually, I hate this more than all the other movies. 
I, you know, it was of a piece for me. It was just a general, <laughs> general Brooke shits vibe. You know, I, yeah, I, it, that's funny because it didn't stand out to me as, but I, I totally get why, especially your hatred of that kind of 40s stuff. I mean, you, you want me to really set you off with stuff yeah. you hate. I'll, I'll mention yeah. Marvel stuff. Right. My, my kids, they, they, my daughter loved the, uh, Agent Carter, which was a Marvel series, which was oh, basically yeah. this done right. right. And, and I, so, and, and I totally enjoyed watching it with her. And sure. so I'm not, yeah. I'm not so averse to this kind of thing, right. but boy, it, yes, it could not have been more annoying and, and, and hard to watch. Yeah. No, you know, I mean, the Marvel stuff is for kids, so it's good that, uh, you know, but kids this, like it. this ostensibly was for kids. It's terrible. I, yeah, it's, oh, my God. But again, all these movies were for kids, I guess. I don't yeah. know. We can't tell. Uh, yeah. We yeah. were very damaged kids, <laughs> as, as evidenced uh, by the entertainment that was given to us. Did it create what? it or did we demand it? Or was it both? What would you say to to go out saying something positive? Is is, is there a good Brooke Shields movie? Um, no. Uh, yeah, I, I had to say Alice, that. Sweet Alice. That's the oh, that's yeah, the one. Of course. Oh, forgive me, forgive me, Father. That's for it, assume. right? Yeah. yeah. No, that's a masterwork. That's fantastic. How can God. I forget? I, Sorry, and I watched everybody. the Blu-ray of that that just came out. It is fantastic. I mean, the actors are so great. Yeah. But the movie kicks ass. Patterson it's amazing. It's amazing. It's an amazing film. God, does it hold up? Yeah, it's yeah. really, really yeah, I good. I saw it uh, at the University of Chicago a few years back and was just completely startled by how great it holds up. Um, yeah, Alice, sweet Alice. I mean, I don't. I mean, offhand, I mean, you know, the Blue Lagoon is fun. You can watch it and have a good time with it. Endless Love is not. Um. Endless Love does have the incredible Tom Cruise Star is Born performance. Oh, yeah. Do you remember that? He's in it for like one minute. He's the, the pyromaniac. He teaches the right. kid how to set fires. And he comes on the screen, and it's like, holy shit, that guy should be the biggest star in the world. And he was. Yeah. Um, and then he lectured her. That's right. And then he, then he socked <laughs> it to her and said, cheer and up, then, lady. And then the scales, you know, the Thetans fell from his eyes. The Thetans scales. <laughs> And uh, he learned the truth about psychiatry. So, uh, a punishing assignment for this episode of Crackpot Cinema. I don't want us to do this again with five movies like this in a row. <laughs> I'm no. sure we will. Uh, the next episode is going to be, uh, the theme is Upwardly Mobile Downward Spirals. And it's, uh, these are three good movies, or three, you know, two, two, two really good ones and one that's crazy that I love. Uh, and that will be La Grande Bouffe. And then the TV movie Pray for the Wildcats, which has got an amazing Blu-ray release from Kino Lorber featuring a great, great commentary by my friends, uh, Amanda Reyes and Bill Ackerman. And, uh, the final movie is called I Melt With You with uh, Rob Lowe, Jeremy Piven, Thomas Jane, and another guy. And uh, these are all, this is just, these are toxic masculinity meltdown films. And um, I think we're going to have uh, an easier time watching these films than we did with Brooke Shields. So. Thank God. Until next time, crack or get off the pot. I'm Mike McPadden. 
I'm Aaron Lee. Bye, Mike. See ya.